What's up, boss? Welcome to another episode of Abraham's Wallet. Um, today you're going to hear a conversation with me and Jeff Davenport. We were trying to tie up all the loose ends from our first conversation, uh, which was who are our people, and we thought we could get through that. And guess what? We didn't get through it, not at all. But what we did is take a good hard swing at how do we endure with those who are struggling with sin. So that's today's episode, and before I throw you over to it, I would just like to say as we near the end of the year and you're considering your end of year giving, we would love if you would remember Abraham's wallet and uh, might consider supporting us. If you're interested in that, please go to Abraham's wallet slash donate and uh, we'd love to be part of the mix of your year end charity. So just throw that out and now let's go on to the uh, sprawling conversation with my old good friend Jeff Davenport. Jeff, I thought we would just start recording right up at the head here because you and I haven't talked in a while. Hey. And I thought, why not make this real time? I don't know what date this is posting, but here on October 27th, we've got snow outside. Snow on the ground. Yeah, we we spent yesterday madly, we have big trees in our yard, madly raking up leaves because you don't want those leaves getting wet. Then it's getting out of if they get trapped under snow. <sighs> That's right. It's trouble to get them You've out. You've got dead grass. You guaranteed dead grass. Dead grass. Well, that that, that ship and, has sailed. And then and then oh, you got to deal with wet well, leaf. Uh, you have wet leaf syndrome. Oh man, which we all know is incurable. You, there's a lot of homeopathic remedies, but none have been pure, uh, proven by the FDA. And are you at the stage in life when the tre- leaves are falling from the trees, so to speak? Is that a, is that a comment on my hair loss? <laughs> The angels share. I have a question for you today. Great. I thought of you, I think of you often and I text you um, needlessly. No. And I had a question that I thought we could reserve for for the people. Okay. Here's my question. Yeah. Would someone be justified to honk if the person in front of you isn't taking advantage of the right on red allowance? Without a now, doubt. There's right no, on red. I don't care what you're going to say next. Right on red. Yes. Right on red isn't a mandate. It's an opportunity. It's not yeah. It's not something that somebody has to do. No. So I felt abashed this morning when I considered honking at the person in front of me who was taking advantage, I suppose, of the red light to leisurely stroll through I, what I assume is Instagram, looking at, you know, like mm. Subway sandwiches or something. I'm My tolerance of poor driving uh, has decreased because more often than not, I think you're on your phone. If it was like someone like, well, I'm tentative yes. about turning right. I'd be like, I get it. Sure. I'm not going to. But I know you're just scrolling through something. So... Did you know that right on red? When do you think that became a law? I don't know. 70s? 1975. The circle gets a square. And did you know that it's federally protected? It it became federally mandated. And all states, if you wanted their, if you wanted federal money for like petroleum conservation, you had to ally right, right on red. You had to allow yep. it. 
What happens to states' you're, rights? You're getting, you're getting people where they're supposed to go quicker. You're getting people off the streets, presumably, oh by allowing right on red. That see, okay, so this solves a bit of a mystery because I think what year did Annie Hall come out? Anyway, I remember in Annie Hall, someone's trying to convince New York or Woody Allen to move to Los Angeles, to move to California. And he says, why would I want to move to a state whose only cultural advantage is making a right on red? Thank you for your low quality. It, I blame Woody the internet. Allen. It's, it's, it's cutting in and out. And it makes all, it's going to make all my impressions <laughs> over the next podcast just less than they normally would be. I appreciate that sensitivity mm -hmm. to technology, but you know, I always feel like a good practitioner can overcome technological challenges. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm doing what I can. How you doing today? I, did, I wish it wasn't snowing, but pretty darn Okay. Good. You wish it wasn't snowing? No. Why, we've just, why do you care? We've had a wonderful fall for the last, I think I'm being greedy is the deal. So I live outside Denver and we normally oh, have a short fall because we'll get an early snow. We've had a long fall and I'm, I guess I'm greedy. The last few days have been like Courier and Ives, perfect uh, autumnscape. The colors are perfect. The, yes. the, the weather's right in that autumn band. Um, it's been great. We're, we're in it right now too. It's are you great. enjoying that? And beautiful. The colors are out, mm. people are out, the coffee's flowing. Cider. We're in a we're we're at a time, Jeff. You know how I feel about this. I'm offended that you can get Christmas ornaments and in in a couple of major retailers. Mm -hmm. I am philosophically opposed, but practically excited. You can also get some kinds of nog in the grocery oh. store right now. And you're you're okay with the early nog. Late October. Yeah. It's the it's the early squeezings of nog off the nog tree. Yeah. It's the it's the early fruit. And First it's fruits. got a different flavor to it, isn't it? Yeah. You're still getting the kinks of the uh, nog worked out at this point. But you're willing you're willing to be tested upon. Yeah, because there's some there there are some good batches that you that you'll that you'll come through. Nog batch. Um, Years ago, <laughs> years ago, in a letter to me, you were living overseas, Cambodia or something, and you wrote something that you were having, you were having cider, a warm apple cider, and I think you said, "Warm apple cider is like an afghan for your mouth." Yeah, pretty good. I'd like, I'd like for you to talk us through your latest adventure. Yeah, so my wife turned a big number recently for her birthday, and it was she's she's misadventure. Misadventure. She's misadventure. And so little uh, misadventure, she, little misadventure. She and I and another couple we're very close with and another couple we're very close with. We all flew to Spain and we walked uh, a part of the Camino de Santiago, which is this sort of Catholic. -y, it didn't matter what it was, because really all it mattered was we walked together, the six of us. And we would walk about 15, uh -huh. 16, 17 miles a day get to a beautiful little village. We were in Basque country, which is the north of Spain. We'd get to a beautiful little village. We'd stay in a little hotel, have a wonderful little meal that didn't cost us much. And then we'd walk the next day and it was perfect. The weather was, the weather couldn't have been better. And uh, I keep telling people it, the, the, the trip reflected my wife 
which is it was fun and it was deep. Like we had lots of fun laughing, chatting, you know, these people be together walking for a while or you'd be alone or be with this group. And then, you know, it's always really the six of us at some combination. And then there were also these moments where like, okay, we're going to pray for you, pal, because you seem to be dealing with this. So let's, let's, you know, talk to you about this and let's pray for you about this. And we had a great time. It just couldn't have been a better trip. We keep, we keep kind of going, well, gosh, what, there's nothing more positive. We could say everything was great. Were there any Spanish speakers with you? Uh, we had, it, <laughs> The women, the women in the trip, uh, we had a, we had a very good Spanish speaker. We had a pretty good Spanish speaker and we had my wife who speaks some Spanish, but, but honestly, most of her Spanish is medical Spanish. So it didn't, didn't come into play a lot. So we usually, now the men, we didn't know our gatos from our peros. Uh, so we would, Tracy, would look at Tracy oh, and Tracy would kind of piece things together. But what was strange was. Uh, a large, most of our trip, we were again in Basque country. And, and if you look up the Basque people, they're an odd, they're an odd group of people. Nobody knows where they came from. Some of them claim they came from Atlantis. It's so odd. And their language is like no other language on earth. And nobody knows it except these Basque people. And it has no uh, derivative. It, it hasn't come from anywhere. It's not a, a romance language. It's not a Latin. It's not a, it's none of these languages. Nobody knows where it came from, and they're heavy on the X. They like the letter X. They're going to put an X in everything. And so none of us knew Basque, because I think like 14 people in the world know Basque. Um, but Spanish, and most of them spoke English, so that, that got us by pretty well. Kept us out of trouble. And this is the culture that's produced, the, like the, the big shoe retailers that are in the discount malls, the outlet malls. I think you're thinking of Bass. The shoes. Bass. Oh, what are you saying? Basque. Like the Basque of Montiado? Yeah, that's right. Basswegians. Okay. Basswegians. Remember that? Remember that shoe, the Basque? And what, 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 what kind of food do the Basque people? The Basque what? people are, are famous for their fish. They like, they, they, they're pulling stuff out of the ocean constantly. They're consummate fishermen. Bass is what they should be eating. I guess, gosh. I'll, I'll let them know. That's, that's an overlooked opportunity. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, what they would make though um, is a big soup that would basically be bass basque, bass bisque. Dang. Oh, bass bisque. Oh, that it, would be it would great be called basque bass, bass bisque. Very famous. <laughs> I guarantee you, if along this Camino de Santiago Real, somebody opened up. A Basque, Basque, Bisque shop. Uh -huh. They'd be making money hand over fist, right? Uh, they sure would. And they have different sizes. You'd be like, you want the big one? Yeah, I want the big one. Great. Uh, give me a uh, Bass, Bisque, Bass, <laughs> a Basque, Bass, Bisque bucket. Yeah. Well, they would call it the vast size. Yeah. You they want, would have vast, or you want Basque, the Basque, Bisque. Jeff, I thought it would be fun to tell you something that I have coming up that I'm excited about that you don't know about yet and the people don't know about it yet. Well, I'm part of the people then. Okay. This, this, I've got my own little adventure coming up. I've got a birthday coming up. You know that I found this outfit um, that trains uh, overaged people in basketball, right? Yeah. Uh huh. The wheelchair league. Might, might as well give them a shout out. It's called Never Too Late Basketball. 
And five times a year in picturesque locations, they put on basketball camps for old people. They have no age limit on who can uh, come. They have had 80-somethings uh, do their camps before. And they get they get former college coaches to come run these camps and then college players and whatever. So they're supposed to be well done from what I understand. And I had it in my mind that I would like to go to one of these. I thought that would be a fun lark. I'm mm. going to call it a lark. And what it's going to constitute is quite a significant road trip from my front door into the New England area. Oh, I like New England. I like the old England. I was going to well, say you've done both. They've made a new one. I, I, it's hard to find fish and chips in the new one. I guess that was something they left out when they were editing the paper. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father is going to join me on this outing. That is so. Fantastic. Not only will I get some time with Roger, and I, if I can come away with some recordings of our conversations, I will. But I also wanted to tell you that we're going to be within, I think, five miles of the, the following lyric. The first of December was covered with snow, and so was the turnpike from Stockbridge to Boston. To Boston. Wow. And, Stock, and, the, and the Berkshires seem dreamlike on account of that frosting. We're going to be in, I don't know if you call them Berkshires or Berkshires, but that's where we're going to be. We're going to be right in that area. We're going to be five miles from Stockbridge in a little town called Sheffield, I think. Sheffield, They're all, no. It's funny. It all sounds like old England towns. They're like, there's only a limited number of things you can call a town. We, we've heard of some names. Let's call them those names. Wait, let, let's do, do that lyric uh, as James Taylor. You, you have a pretty good James Taylor. Oh, you want me to sing those lines? I, I, want, I want to hear an impersonation. Oh, okay. Oh, the Berkshires seem dreamlike on account of that frosting. There you go. There you go. I'll pipe in some applause so that we can see. Oh, good. Oh, sorry. I meant to. Do they have a uh, orthopedic surgeon right there on the sidelines or are they they in the back? I have wondered that before because I told my dad, I want to do this while I feel that I could still do basketball movements. However, will I be surprised if on this weekend, some part of my body goes, thank you. We're done now. I I didn't know that we needed to send you a telegram, but now we're going to send you clear messaging. You should not have done this. Uh, So we'll see. I, I, that thought has crossed my mind is like, do, are, are there, are there, are the doctors standing by now at this point, I would like to, Gently segue into the reason that I've called you on today. Oh, gosh. It was such a shock when you called me on. A couple couple of members of your family are going to be joining this call. We have some difficult words to say to you, but I think you need to listen. This was happy. They told me it was for cooking only. Do you remember a time when you and I talked about who are our people? I am, of course, in touch with all of the volley people. Uh, the Abe's Wallet Volley community, and we talk we talk freely about a number of issues, and one of them is episodes as they as they pass the monitor of life, and people talk about them, and there have been lots of follow up questions, and even I would say challenges uh, from that 
episode, uh, which people in general, those are people I've heard of, uh, received it very well and said this kind of specific instruction, though pointed, um, is good to hear. But the follow-up questions to it have been, uh, wait, would you do a little bit more explaining about the the challenges that come with um, drawing appropriately hard lines on who's in our community and who isn't? In the first episode, we described at length, okay, here, you're in our crew if you do this, and you're out of our crew if you think this. And I, we had said that the line was porous between those two groups, um, but uh, we didn't go into any depth of like describing, okay, how does one move out of that group or move into that into that inner group? So I thought we could talk about that. What do you great. think? I think that'd be great. I, I know you and I have talked about this, but for the listeners, the, the people, as you call them, derogatorily. Yeah, uh, the people. We... Afterwards, I felt like, oh, man, I wonder how that's going to get heard. It feels like this this might land a certain way. So I'm glad we're unpacking some things and getting into uh, some of the finer points of this, because uh, like anything, you go from uh, theoretical to practical and stuff can get, can get lost in the translation. And so I think any sort of guide yeah. towards getting into the practicality is going to be beneficial well, you're a nicer person than I am. How, how did you think? Did you true. listen to the episode and what did you think? Gosh, I, I really just thought what a jerk you are um, for the most part. I, I No, I thought, I, I think probably like most of the people, uh, I think they, I thought this is a good compendium of the things nobody else is really, again, uh, not really talking about in a big forum, uh, talking about cutting people out of your life. What? And then understanding, well, it says in scripture, you've got to be very, this is something we all need to take seriously. I was telling someone, uh, it doesn't matter who, I was telling someone, if you told your uh, close Christian friends, I'm believing by faith that, th that this, this healing is going to happen. They'd be like, yay, good for you. And if you said, right. hey, I'm believing by faith that um, God's got this good thing in store for my family, everybody would be like, yay, good. But if you were to go, hey, I'm believing by faith based off the scriptures that if I cut this person out of my life after I've gone through those steps, they might possibly return to him. They'd be like, what? I'm sorry, what was that? We just don't do True. this kind of thing. And not. And I want to make, make it real clear, I don't think you or I, or maybe you do, we don't relish this. It's not like we're going, ooh, let's start looking around. Who can we, who can we start cutting out? This is going to be fun. It's more taking right. the scriptures seriously and uh, our mutual friend, Mark Parrott, you, you've met Mark. Uh, he, he was, he just said it in very stark yeah. terms because I was kind of dealing with some of this recently. And he said, you either trust the process or you don't. Like you either trust that what right. Jesus says is true in this or you don't. And that's, it's, a, it's a harder one. It's a harder one to um, come to terms with maybe. We have been trained to never uh, be part of any conflict, to walk away from uh, troubling conversations about sin and belief patterns. And I don't want to be that way. I don't think that's what a godly person is like.
I think you are more prone to function like, and we all should, but you're more prone. To yes, function. that's true. I was thinking this metaphor, like there's a, there's a club and it's this fun club and great stuff's happening inside the club. There's gotta be a bouncer. There's gotta be a somebody who goes, yeah. we're not putting up with that. And I have no problem coming in there and going, if you can't change this, we need you out because we're going to be doing some great stuff in here. And I don't know, you're a bit of a spiritual bouncer. I'll take it. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I do. I do uh, agree. Uh, I concede that there's something in me that's more up for conflict than the normal bear. The, the point that you just made about a bouncer uh, makes me think one of the one of the many notes that I wrote that I'm sure we will not get through is when we consider our groups. Okay, we're talking about our insider circle again. You might want to go back and listen to that uh, episode. These these insider groups we talked about. These are the people that you go to in times of trouble. These are your trusted friends. You really take seriously their opinions on on things that are outside of biblical lines, such as should my nine year old watch that movie. Oh, that's not in the Bible. That That is a morally ambiguous question. And you have to go to the voices you really trust to get an answer on these outside the lines uh, questions that are the way that you run your family and how you interface with culture. That's what I mean by insider groups. So about those insider groups, I, I just had a question in my notes, which is, are these open groups? <laughs> can, can anybody just parachute in. Hey, we're new to town. Uh, we, we were looking for some Christians. Uh, maybe we could come to your group meeting uh, or if maybe you don't have a meeting, but can, can we just kind of like join in where somebody goes, hey, we're going to have a deep conversation, two of two or three of the guys. I brought another guy with me. Um, I'm interested in your answer to that question, but my default answer is no. These are not open groups. We, we We're talking about um, people who we've walked long enough with that we we know that we are synced up on some beliefs and some practices, and so there's a backlog of of conversations about belief with, and we know we're all on the same page, so that we could address something like, well, there's an election coming up. We could hopefully we could talk about. Now, what, what is our thought about this election that's that's coming up next week? Um, why? Because we have a whole body of agreement that already exists between us. So could, a stranger could jump. Hey, this is a good guy. This is Frank. So in my opinion, I'm thinking of a, a closed group. Does that you have any thoughts? Yeah, I, I could see that. I think um, I might be a little more willing to let someone in it, almost like you're on a uh, probationary uh, Trial. basis. Yeah. yeah. Like as long as the, the main guys are all on the same team, like, like later, is there a possibility to go Frank's off his nut? Let's uh, we're going to keep Frank might hang out sometime playing racquetball, but Frank's not coming to this hangout time. I think that's uh -huh. what would be necessary. Uh, I don't know. I, but, but I could see like, we really need to suss Frank out before he actually comes in. I could see benefit to that as well. And if Frank is worth his salt, he'll understand well, that, right? <laughs> right? 
there won't be a funnier joke said in this particular episode than that one. Um, so no, Frank will never understand that. Um, I know that already. So let's just let's just kind of get into this the central question, which is what what do we do about people who I just phrase it as people who fall through the cracks. That is, for one reason or another, somebody has got in their mouth, they got hooked somewhere in their lip, they got hooked something about the culture. It could be um, it could be any of the topics that are swirling around culture right now. It could be new age, something has gotten into the water. They could have watched too much Oprah. Um, they could be, there's that couple that is so dialed into pop culture that whatever is popular, they will be consuming and it will, they'll be talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I say that's an illness that needs to be addressed personally for, for my money um, because there's no discernment there. There's an open door for all sorts of spiritual mumbo jumbo. There's, there's, there's room for demonic stuff there, horrible belief systems, not to mention, can I just make a shout out that being desensitized to sin is evil? We, we shouldn't be desensitized to something uh, as common as divorce. We shouldn't be desensitized to that. It's horrible. It's awful. Um, but we so regularly consume uh, things that that normalize sin, that it desensitizes us. So, uh, um, so you've got a you've got a, a couple. Let's say you have a couple, and they're walking down this road, and you go like they're kind of out of step with where we're headed. I'd like to talk to about what to do with them. Great. I think there's two kinds of people that this could that this could describe. One is people who they know not what they do. Hmm. And they might have been new believers or they're first generation believers. They don't have a lot of reference to older, mature believers who can who can handle and apply scriptures in, in all sorts of ways. I was with a couple of those kind of guys today. And it's just, it's a wonderful blessing and a wonderful luxury to literally be able to throw any topic at these guys and then pull out the filing cabinet of their heart and go, I can apply three scriptures to that. Um, and so these people tossed by every wind of culture, every prevailing philosophical wind they get blown around by. And as our culture goes from bad to worse, um, th they get affected by it and, and they don't really, they don't know that that's happening to them. They didn't make any conscious decisions along the way. They're simply getting pulled by the current. I think that's a whole lot of people. Um, and I think that happens around us, especially in kind of like church church groups. Uh, I think that happens more than more than like life on life kind of groups where like we're in each other's homes. It's more like people where we kind of drop in. We do a little Bible talk. We don't see them. We drop back in two weeks later and we do some more Bible talk. You, you hear a couple of comments. You think, wait, what did you, what did you just say, uh, you know, about the sanctity of human life? Or what did you just say about the color of someone's skin? Uh, come, come again. Um, so 
<clears throat> my, my comment about this group of people is, first of all, without um, guardrails in place, this is bound to happen. You're, you're bound to be influenced by the things that you consume. Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, which means that at some point, the love of these people wasn't cold. At some point, there was some kind of warmth generated from their love, presumably of God and of others. But there's a coarsening that happened because of the desensitizing that happens in a sinful culture. And uh, it can get to us. There's um, another passage that came to mind was Second Timothy 3. And it talks about just things going from bad to worse. I, I've, I've heard a couple of people recently asking or, or putting forth the idea that things aren't really going from bad to worse because you had Rome when Rome was at its uh, uh, peak of godlessness. Isn't that, aren't we just repeating history? Um, well, in some ways, yes, but the, the overall arc of history is definitely bad to worse. That's that's biblical, that things are go from bad to worse. And uh, one of the things described in there, uh, in that list, is um, children disobeying parents as one of these horrible end times, apocalyptic, gross sins that you'll know that the end of the age is near is children disobeying parents. Um, I find that chilling because we are royally desensitized to that being a sin whatsoever. We just think sin. I mean, that's just life. What do you mean? Children disobeying parents. Um, one last reference is that First uh, Thessalonians, I believe it's chapter four, talks about a man of lawlessness coming in the end times. And it is the championing of the breaking of laws, of lawless living, and the celebration of the throwdown of all authority and, and lawlessness. And I hope I wouldn't have to go very far to try to t convince someone that that's happening in the age that we live in. And that's simply going to affect us. Uh, the places that you go, for instance, I, I just have friends that they work for big, successful companies that have a strong corporate culture, who teach their people uh, values. That's part of working there. And if you put in 50 hours a week somewhere and they're teaching you values and it's how you do business for 50 hours a week, guess what? you are being conditioned according to those values. So we have to be very vigilant, actually, to keep our eyes. We're told to be unsullied by the world. That's a, that's a biblical phrase, to be unsullied by the world and to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, which means a number of things, but certainly means keeping our noses in the Bible. Um, I'm sorry if this turned into a sermon, but... Um, the point is, I'm just trying to say that this will by default happen to us. And I think it happens to people that don't know any better. They don't know 
how to stem the tide of what washes over them. And they eventually just start having a set of beliefs that accommodate the culture around them. Okay. Now that was a very long description of what these people are like. I hope what I'm communicating is I, I have mercy and understanding for them. They're ignorant. We've all been ignorant, ignorant and undiscerning. And I assume what you're yes. leading towards is you can deal with those people. Like you go, look what the scriptures say. It's this, 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 and this. Now, I didn't know that. Great. Thanks. That's right. The best case scenario and the thing that's supposed to happen the most common is first we have this uh, command. I believe it's Galatians 6.2 that says that we're to bear with one another's sins. It doesn't mean that what whatever sin anybody's involved in, you just go, well, I love you anyway. You're my sister in Christ. That's not what it means. It means that when someone fails in sin, some, someone's got a, an alcohol problem, they get drunk, they get drunk again, they get drunk again, they get drunk again, they, and they're repenting all along the way. They're coming back, guys, I just blew it, and I'm so sorry, but I feel so powerless that when I think of the things that I've done in my life and how bad I've been, I don't know what to do when it's three in the morning and I just know where I can go and I go get that alcohol. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of people I know, by the way, who have walked through this. I'm, I'm quoting them. And then you, and then we, gosh, we are, we are resolute and we are praying for the spouse and we're trying to make up for outages. You lost your job because of that. Well, we can give some money. We can help through this. And everything seems good for three, four months. And then the guy goes on a five day bender and nobody knows where he is. They just know he found some cocaine somewhere. I know those people. I know, I know those stories. And, and as here's what the scripture says, people don't want to do this part of it either. It says, as long as that person is repentant and confessing and open, we bear with them. And it, I'll tell you this from lots of experience, it will cost you to hang in with people who are struggling and failing with sin. It'll cost you. And we're supposed to do that work. That That's part of what it means to be a family is that we walk with one another when they're going through junk. Um, what we're supposed to do now, when I say this, this has happened over and over and over and over again, I don't just mean that you go, man, that's so tough, man. Well, are you getting help somewhere? Um, we must, as a part of that process, be telling them the truth. So that's scriptural that we would rebuke one another. And that's the, that's the word that it says. And that's the word I'll repeat. The word is rebuke. You don't have to punch somebody in the face to rebuke them, but you just have to tell them, I have to tell you the truth. Whenever somebody confesses sin to me, I want to be gracious with them. I'll, it'll always end with me saying, you're, I just declare you forgiven because you've confessed this and you agree with God's word. And First John 1, 9 says, if we confess, he cleanses us, period. But I also think it's helpful sometimes to tell men, uh, you know, it's worse than you think it is. And to describe to them, here is what you're actually doing when you walk down this road of sin. You are saying to God, I don't want you. You are inviting him to walk out of the room of your relationship with him. You're asking him to 
back off. You're asking the devil and evil to come close, not only to you, but to your entire household. You are, you are playing with fire and you are dancing on the edge of a cliff. I'm telling you that it's worse than you think. And I'm happy to tell you that you're forgiven. And let's, let's learn how to, you know, walk in freedom together. So when, when I say rebuke, I don't mean shaking your finger in somebody's face. I mean, just telling them the truth about where they are. And we're supposed to do that. And we're supposed to restore a brother gently. That's also scripture. Restore a brother gently. Say, man, I, I know what it means to, to do things that you think, why did I do that? I feel so stupid. I, I said I wouldn't do that anymore. And I'm, and I'm still doing it. I know how that feels. And I want to restore you. The other thing that's supposed to happen with people that are that are ignorant, as you say, walking through sin, is that we're supposed to, this is one of the hard little commands, we're supposed to warn others around us based on what's happening with him. And, and our cultural value is that we never repeat something bad that someone has done. And I'm, I'm all for being sensitive to, hey man, this is a secret, you know, his boss can't find out about this, or I don't know what the, I'm all for, for respecting somebody's boundaries, et cetera, et cetera. But if, if, if somebody's in our internal group, you know, this is our, this is our tight group and somebody is saying, Hey, we're really having marriage problems. And it's because of me, I'm working too much and I'm going to alcohol for comfort and my my marriage is suffering for it. I would say, as a part of as as a part of your humbling yourself and repenting, would you just share that with the group? Because we need to hear that, not so that we can pile on you. It's not like, well, what what advice does everyone around the circle have for Bob right now? Let's all just pile on him. No, it's that when Bob kind of talk, talks about what he's going through, I then looked at everybody and and say, hey, this could happen to us too. This could happen to me. So we're supposed to be on our guard. We're supposed to be warned. And let's all let man, let's pray for this family right now. He, Bob's in as great a place as he could possibly be. He's repentant right now. We're going to support them. And we should all walk out of here with the fear of God on us because there but for the grace of God, so go I. I'm I'm in Bob's I'm in Bob's very position if it's not God's grace. So, you know. That we were supposed to rebuke them gently, restore them, and warn others. Have Thank you ever seen that happen? Not the warning. No, not like that. And I, when you first brought up, hey, when we rebuke somebody, we should tell them what's at stake, like what's really going down. When you first said that, I was like, oh, that sounds weird. But then as you unpacked it, I thought, no, that's a, that, that seems right. I think, I think you might have even done that with me before when I've talked about like giving into fear or something. Mm. And... Yeah, so I, I hope everybody hears. <laughs> yeah, you're not going. Don't you know what happens when you become a drunk? <laughs> it, it, it's just for cooking. Uh, but it, but it is. I, I mean, even even as you were kind of playing out that scenario, that script, you realize it. It is helpful. Like we do need a bit of that warning. It it, it can stick in your in your head. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That's yeah. completely true. And there's also all sorts of scriptures that say these bad things happen when you, when you give in 
And so we all, we need, we need awareness of that. Yeah. I, I have the belief that we, one of the reasons that God wants us to confess our sins to one another, which we are commanded to do, by the way, confess your sins to one another. I, I reckon that we believe God's word coming out of someone else's mouth more than we believe it in our own head. Hmm. So if we tell the gritty details of our sin to someone else, that person looks us dead in the eye and goes, I heard everything that you said, and I'm telling you, you're forgiven. There's something so powerful that happens there that we wouldn't have believed on our own because we, somebody, we, we know that we're not crazy and we're not just hoping that the best would happen. Somebody actually heard it all and they said to us, I believe what God says about you, and that is that you're forgiven. Similarly, um, we need to be told the truth out of someone else's mouth. And so when someone really knows you, that's one of the vulnerabilities of, of having an insider group at all, is that if somebody really knows you and they love you, that's an important uh, ingredient, then they can look at you and say, now, listen, you you." are playing Russian roulette here. Do you understand that? Well, yeah, I know it's it's bad for me to, to steal stuff from the company. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm telling you that you're tearing down the house that you've built with your whole life here. We're talking about your career. Most marriages break up because of financial problems. That's what's at stake here when you're taking home staplers from the company, whatever, just to, tr just to speak lovingly, speak the truth to somebody else where they live. I think that, as you say, it's super rare. And I've had that happen to me on a couple of occasions. And I would just walk away feeling like I've got the best friend in the world who, who cares about me and doesn't want me to, to shipwreck my life. So that's, that's one is somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. And if Mark were here, Mark would say uh, one of the things that we should be doing because of ignorance and because there are people that, that they, they don't know how to navigate culture and they don't know the word of God very well. We're supposed to be talking not just about what book did you read lately and did you have a good week when we get together with our groups, but we're taught we're supposed to be talking about sound doctrine when we get together that we think we can tend to think these are kind of removed from us. Um, does it really matter that God is immutable? That's a theological concept. God is immutable. Well, have any of us ever spent any time thinking about that? No. Well, what do you think that means? What God's immutable. Can we look at these passages that see God's immutable? Well, one of the, one of the knock on effects of that, concept is that his word never changes. So there's no such thing as progressive revelation because what he has said, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he ever speaks today, and I believe that he does, but if he ever speaks, it is to reiterate and contextualize his eternal word. It's not to go back on his word or revise it in any way. It's because God is immutable. Well, we don't like, that's boring. We don't talk about that in our groups, but we should. We should talk about sound doctrine and just start taking some swings at doctrine. It'll actually prevent the kind of wandering away and people getting tossed and turned by every wave of teaching. 
that they could possibly hear because they're grounded in in what the truth is. Does that make sense? Yeah, maybe the maybe the headline of that is when you're together with a group of believers or even just one other what's your proportion is your proportion is your is your is your asset mix too heavy on how i'm feeling and what's going on with a low proportion of okay let's see what the scripture says i think there's nothing wrong with talking about i'm feeling this this makes me feel this way but you just want the mix way higher on let's ingest truth that's right and i've been talking about confessing sin there are many, many sins I wouldn't trot out in front of a group. I'm, matter of fact, I'm, I'm trying to think what sins. Yeah, there are there are sins that I would trot out in front of uh, of, of a mixed, you know, a mixed group of husbands and wives, and we all trust each other and we've been walking together towards the Lord. But there are many things that I that I wouldn't say in that group. If I was having issues with my wife, I wouldn't trot that out in front of that group. I'd take that to one or two dudes that I totally trust and. I know how they're going to respond to my sin. Nothing is more disappointing to me personally that if I confess sin to somebody, they go, oh, man, that's all right, man. I've been there. I mean, that's all right, man. I think, well, I just confessed my sin to the wrong guy. I need to find somebody that knows how to knows how to field my sin and will forgive me and speak the truth to me and restore me. You know, that's that's what I want. So. Well, real quick before before I, I know, I think where you really want to go is group two, but I think there's a lot to group one. What's your prescription for? You're the person in the group that's heard the podcast, okay, and you're like, I need more of this in my group. So I'm gonna, okay, gosh, this guy's struggling with this, and he's confessed. Okay, I'm gonna do what Stephen had told me. Oh, that's great. And then you find yourself being the guy who's in the sin. How do you how do you backseat drive someone well? How do you mm. how do you look at that buddy and go, hey man, here's what I need from you right now? Like, do you just say what you just say, as opposed to just sitting around going, gosh, my, all my friends are shallow dopes and all they do is go, yeah, man, it sucks, yeah, man, yeah, stuff. Well, since I mean, since we get to create this scenario, I'll just say, um, how to field sin. And how to priest one another with confessed sin. That is a group skill that I have taught and do actively teach. And I want all my friends to know this skill. Not only because they're all sinners, but because the guy that they meet with at the coffee shop is a sinner, namely me. And so I would like to feather my own nest by setting up trained pastors. How do I know that they're trained in pastoring somebody when it comes to sin? Because I train them. Hmm. So I, I want to talk in our groups about um, how to how to handle sin um, and how, how to restore somebody. So I wasn't planning on doing this, but because you asked, I'll just throw very quickly out five steps that that, that we go over. One, one, the first one is the confession of sin. And I'll just say most people want to confess the headline of sin. They don't want to confess all the receipts. And so if somebody starts confessing something to me, my classic example of this is a guy that says, lately I've been struggling with my thoughts. 
And then I play real dumb and go, what does that mean? What are you talking about? And how, whatever generalities he talks in, I just keep going. And I just act like I don't know what he's talking about and haven't heard it until we get to the nitty gritty of, okay, when is this sin that you're talking about? When? Describe one situation. Don't speak in generalities to me. What are you, what are you confessing? And when we've got to the, the ugly truth of the situation, you know, and sometimes I say this before they even get there. If they're, if they're starting to get afraid, I just tell them, I've got good news for you is when you're done, I'm going to tell you that you're forgiven no matter what you say. Yeah, you're and not, so you're not it, trying to get at the lascivious details and go, Ugh, I was waiting for you to get to a spot when I went, Ugh. no, <laughs> it's not me that needs to hear it. It's them mm -hmm. that need to say it. Hmm. I, I pray that I'll, I honestly pray that I forget these things as soon as they're confessed to me, but I know that people need to say them to another human. That's what hmm. priests are for. And we're a kingdom of priests, by the way. So you have the right to be able to confess your sin to every single believer and get this kind of treatment. So when we confess, we forgive that people need to hear that. And by the way, I'll just tell you, I've having done this a lot, ask people to look you in the eye. So you can look him in the eye and say, I mean this. I'm speaking on behalf of the kingdom of God, and I'm telling you you're forgiven for what you've confessed. Now, they might not. They might feel great relief in that moment, and they might not. They might still feel guilty and go, I don't care how you feel. I'm declaring this as a legal statement. You're forgiven of that sin, and I have the right to do that. Jesus gave it to me in John chapter 20, I believe. I'll put it up on the screen if I'm wrong about that. I think it's John 20, 22. When Jesus says, if you forgive someone their sin, they are forgiven. So you forgive them of their sin. One thing that we always do is that I don't know that there's any spiritual power present in somebody's sin, but there might be. So I just say, um, after I forgive somebody now in, so let's say that they have confessed uh, stealing from work. I say, in the name of Jesus, if there is a spirit of thievery and stealing and envy and the lustful desire for things that you don't have, if that spirit is present, you have to leave Bob right now because he doesn't agree with you anymore. In Jesus' name, leave him. And I just see that as like the exterminator spraying the base of the house with that roach spray. I don't know that they're there. I'm just spraying. I'm just spraying the place. I'm just... I don't know. I don't know what caused the sin that I'm hearing. So I do that. I want to restore these people. So we want to bless them in whatever way that that uh, they have. For instance, if somebody's done this, they've been stealing from work for a long time. They've developed coping skills. They've been lying around it. They've been sneaking around. <clears throat> and it's, and what we do is we assign ourselves identity based on sin. So this person thinks that they're a thief. They think they're a liar. And I just tell them, Bob, I bless you that you're actually in Christ. If Christ lives in you, you're a man of integrity. Now, you've been crumbling those walls with your actions, but you're a man of integrity. I bless you as a man who can be trusted. And I bless you to faithfully rebuild these walls of integrity at work and in the relationships around you. I want to rebuild these things. So I listen, I, I forgive them. I want to spray the place in case anything's there that shouldn't be there. 
and I want to bless them and restore them. Now, I'll, just one further note here is that if, if this is uh, what the Bible calls a besetting sin, we see that it's happening over and over and over and over again. And I'm assuming this is a guy that's in my inner circle. I will also work with him to go, what can we start putting into place? Because we, we really need to kill this thing. Do we need to take some credit cards away from you? Do we need to remove the internet from your home? What do we need to do to start practically preventing this from happening? Because you, you seem really powerless against this. So that, that, that's a, that's a rare circumstance. You'd have to be walking with somebody a while and heard several confessions to get to that point. But I think that's part of helping somebody through sin. And then where in the five steps would you throw in the look? Here's, here's the ramifications of this. I would say it right after you, right after you, um, Forgive them. I always tell people I'm super honored whenever you confess sin to me because you're telling me that you trust me and that you're coming to me to be a kingdom representative, which is one of the highest compliments anybody could ever pay me in my life is to consider me to be a representative of the king. And I'm I really it honors me deeply that you told me this stuff. And because I honor the king, I have to tell you some truth that I'm not sure you apprehend about what you're doing. So uh, let me just tell you these things. I'm not saying that because I'm mad at you, <clears throat> but you have to know what's what's happening here. And if I can pull out any scriptures that will explain sin to people, I'll do that. Um, I won't always do that, but if but sometimes people when people confess sin, you get the thought this guy doesn't really know what he's dealing with here. This is much more serious than he's taking it. Then I I want to up the stakes for him a little bit, and then. What's the tell for you that go, as the priest that goes, not that this worked, but like <laughs> this landed? Or maybe, well, maybe the opposite it, it could help as well. How do you know when, some, when that didn't take for someone? Glibness would, mm -hmm. would be uh, the most concerning thing that I could see. Like, yeah, I guess it wasn't that big a deal, that kind of thing. Or, you know, some people will, they think that this is expected of them. And this is a pretty cool box. I mean, this is a box I could check that, you know, not a lot of people around me are checking this box. But I, I did it. I, you know, I told this guy what I did. And it was pretty gnarly what it did last weekend. But I told him, I told him, we're, we're endlessly creative in our sin. And we can, we can take any religious activity and turn it into a, a source of pride. I would think also a bad tell would be after all that. And they're like, oh, man, I just, I still just feel terrible. About what I did. It's like, oh, why, why? Yeah, I'm not happy with that scenario. But I know that some people carry guilt for so long that just snapping off of it like that, it, it can't happen with them. But emotionally. That, that they're that, not going to get there emotionally. So I'll just tell them, you know what? I'm over it. <laughs> I do. I'll just tell them like, well, I'm over it. I haven't been carrying it for all this time, but what you said was um, deep and, and it matters and I'm, I'm over it and it's going to be okay. Um, why don't we go get some queso? Mm. Get, it, get their um, mind off. Yeah, this, it's going to be okay. okay. Th this reminds me of a question that an old mutual friend of ours asked on Facebook, bless her. Is it biblical to forgive yourself? Like, do you need to forgive yourself? And right. I thought, 
gosh, I don't know the answer to that. I could kind of play, I could go both ways. What's your thought on that? We just ministered to a guy this past weekend around this whole issue. <laughs> um, we teach that uh, self-hatred is evil. Self-judgment is evil. Wait, real quick, pause on self-judgment. What do you, what, I think the other two will know the definition of that. What do you mean by self-judgment? Well, Paul said, I do not judge myself. He said, I don't mm -hmm. trust any man's judgment of me, and I don't trust my, my own judgment of me. So we, we like to evaluate ourselves. Um, sometimes that can be good, but many times our first John says that our hearts condemn us. Nobody knows me like me, and nobody knows how to throw accusations and slander mm -hmm. at me like me. So my judgments of myself are meaningless. What I want is to receive the Lord's judgments over me and then agree with them. If anybody is earnest with me and they are confessing sin, I am going to be gracious, hopeful, and restorative with them every single time. When I confess my sin to myself as my priest, there are many times when myself, the priest of myself, rolls his eyes at me and goes, yeah, we've heard that before. Yeah, right. And we'll make condemning, you know, I, I, don't, I don't mean I, I go through a, you know, a, a technical conversation with myself. I just mean many of us don't want to confess our sins to other people. So we fool ourselves. Well, I confessed it to God. And really what you're saying is I had a little prayer time, and I, I, I'm, I'm good with it, so nobody else needs to hear it. Well, the Bible doesn't have that scenario that that happens internally. But what, what we do is we either let ourselves off the hook for our sin, or we condemn ourselves and we'll never be off of the hook. So that whole world of self-hatred and self-judgment and self-condemnation, self-accusation, it's all ugly stuff. We have to Forgive others. If you've never done it in your life, I'll tell you a really weird thing is I think we have to forgive God sometimes because we have held God in contempt for the way that our life has gone. We hold him in contempt and we say, if you really love me, you would not have let this happen. You would have provided someone in this hard season of my life when I felt so alone, et cetera. And we hold him in contempt and we've got to forgive him. And say, Lord, I, I release you to be God. And I have held you. I put you in on the witness stand and I've questioned you. I release you, God. I, I let it all go. And please forgive me of the unforgiveness I've had toward you. I know that sounds crazy, but I, I, I see that. And the, and the last thing is, yes, forgiving ourselves. And all I mean by that is just to have enough grace for yourself to go, yes, I rebelled. Yes, I was in sin or I was forgetful or I was short short-sighted or I I I did something just according to my flesh. I just ate the whole cake because I just wanted it. Oh, well you're a person. That's what people do. We live in the flesh sometimes. And you know what? You've confessed it. It's forgiven. Why don't we just move on? And why don't we This is what Paul said. I'm forgetting what is behind and I'm straining towards the high calling of Christ in my life. Do you have enough grace to let yourself do that?
and simply go, I'm forgetting everything is behind all of my failures, all of my miscons. You know, we fail ourselves so much. All of my, I didn't hit my goals this year. I made these goals with my wife. We hit a quarter of them, you know, whatever. I should be a better leader. I don't read the Bible enough. My blah, 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 all that stuff. All the stuff that we hold against ourselves. And that doesn't mean that it's okay to sin, but it does mean that when you come and you confess and you're forgiven, we're, we're going to move on. I'm not going to hold you in contempt for the rest of my life. I don't find anything in the scriptures against that. The only thing that I can think of, and when we used it with this guy this past weekend was, you know, the scripture says that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And from what I can hear, I said lovingly to this guy, you kind of hate your guts. <laughs> so um, can I just be one to raise my hand and say, I don't want you to love me the way that you love yourself? Because that, that would be terrible. So I'd like for you to receive grace and receive God's love, and then you can give his grace and give his love to other people around you. That's how it's supposed to work. You, you've, used, you've used this term a few times, and I think it would be helpful to have a working definition of grace because I, I think as I age, I thought it was one thing. Yeah. And then you, you read, and it's like, well, some people will go, well, it's really God's power. Well, if you start to put God's power in the place of the word grace in the scriptures, that'll bake your noodle pretty good because it feels like it changes everything. What's a good working definition of grace? I'm going to quote directly from the late, great Michael O'Shields on this. Um, he taught a lot about grace uh, to to me and to our crew in, in, uh, in around the DFW area. And he said, Many times we act as if grace is God's willingness to overlook sin. That's that's generally what people mean. And he said that cannot be the definition of grace. There's no way in the world that that's what grace is because that would short circuit the whole Bible, the whole the whole the whole narrative, right? Well, that's that's true because the whole st gospel, the story of the gospel is that God does not wink at sin. No, not one. He doesn't wink at any sin. He deals with all of it explicitly and he wrestles it all the way to the ground. And he hates sin with a burning passion and he'll never stop that attitude. But there's a verse that says the grace of God was upon Jesus. How did he receive God's grace if there was no sin in him? So grace, grace can be applied to sin but its definition isn't about sin. Uh, Michael O's working definition was God's ability to work redemptively in any situation. Say that again. God's ability to work redemptively in any situation. Um, this ministry encounter I had this last weekend, this guy starts describing his problem to me and I've, as, as often happens to me, I had never heard of anything like it before as he's starting to describe me. And my first thought when people are kind of coming to me wanting some kind of counseling or help, my first reaction can often be, oh, no, I don't know what to do. You should have gone to someone else. What is happening right now? Help. Where's the eject button? I don't know what to do. And uh, I've learned over the years as this guy's talking to me, I'm talking to the Lord. And I'm going, I don't have any idea what to do for this guy. 
I don't have any answers for him. There's no cute solutions to his problem, which has plagued him for decades. I don't know what to do. Um, it's the same when people want prayer for things I've never prayed for before. And somebody wanted a prayer for lupus. I'm like, uh, I don't, that's not my specialty. Anybody else have this lupus, your specialty? Um, and so I'm just asking God, would you please give me something? Now, God's grace was on me in that moment. And by his grace, I felt like I had some insights from God's word that I could apply to this guy. But it was God's grace at work, which was his willingness and his ability to act redemptively that we tasted in that moment. We tasted God's redemption because the guy ended up set free. Mm. And I didn't have any idea how to help him. I can't stress that enough. That's not word games. I didn't know how to help him. I didn't know what to do. Um, and if that had been on a quiz, what do you do when a guy starts confessing what he was telling me about? I would have failed the test. I, I, I didn't know what to do, but God's grace was on me. And so I would say God's grace is at work when a father reads the scriptures to his family. God is working redemptively in that family. I would say that God's grace is in effect when somebody doesn't um, double cross you on a contract that you signed. Well, that's God's grace. He's working redemption everywhere. You know, his favor and his grace kind of go hand in hand. Those are those are close representatives of, of each other. Um, anyways, that's a theory. I, I like that. I, let's, let's tweak that a little. God's ability and willingness to work redemptively in any situation. Yes. I, I think I've gotten that that scripture. Jesus came full of grace and truth. I've gotten really tired of the way it's described, you know. Oh yeah. Like, well, it's this and it counterbalances this. And I've always thought that sounds that sounds insane. Like that sounds uh, right. That sounds schizophrenic. Right. How He's two opposites walking around. I'm I'm yin and yang. Right. I'm full of truth. I'm gonna tell you what's really going on and what's right, what's wrong. But I'm also full of the not but and I am full of the Willingness and ability to work redemption in any situation. Man, that's exciting. When you put those two words together like that, he comes full of the truth. Every single word that comes out of his mouth is the absolute crystal clean, ivory pure truth. Zing, it comes out of his mouth. And everything that he finds that is untruth, everything that's darkness, he can mend it and fix it and put it back together and make it like it was never untrue. That's what he's like. That's so hot. Okay. So let me produce this episode real quick. Let's <laughs> apply that construct to this group of people. So so use some of that language to yep. describe for us what is it like to minister to that group of people? That's great. So when somebody starts confessing, um, well, we want a culture where people confess sin. Okay. And we have can to I, can real quick. Sorry. Can I just underline that? Like I, I've seen an art crew of people. We had gone through critical skills, the, the class you had created. And one of the best things, the two best things that, that came out of them, a number of things was one is, Hey, we need to confess to one another. And this is, it is an uncharged environment and it's always going to come a, 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 
next to it is always going to be the skill of repentance. Yeah. And so with this group of people, even on our Camino walk, that's what was part of it was we even teaching this other couple like, hey, you're dealing with like, okay, we're just, we just want to talk with you about this. We're not going to go shame shit. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt except to, except to really underline, especially for anybody who's sitting there going, ooh, that sounds weird. My group is going to turn into this like, you know, Catholic confessional. We close the thing and forgive me, Father. It's such a, it can be such a beautiful thing when, when you're mm -hmm. sitting across from someone who goes, hey, y'all, I'm just realizing, can I just confess that like, I, I've allowed myself to be a slave to fear or can I just yeah. confess that I'm, I got stuff going on and I am angry and it's coming out in these ways and the, and the people around going, oh, man, that's awesome. Okay. We're going to, we're going to walk you through repentance right now. And that, that person's going, thank you. I just need that. It yes. can be a great, that culture of confession. I mean, there's no culture of, con, uh, there's no healthy culture of confession that doesn't include repentance and forgiveness. So it's a culture of confession, repentance and forgiveness. That's right. That's right. If this is not normal to your group, you might pull somebody to, aside and, and call an entire meeting, a coffee meeting, just so that you can get this sentence out of your mouth. Jeff, it seems like in the last six months, you are referring to more morally questionable entertainment than I've ever heard come from you before. And I'm concerned. I'm asking you as a brother in Christ, do you think that you are uh, pleasing the Lord with the decisions you're making entertainment wise? If we have that kind of um, watching over one another, then this, these people that we described up front who are being tossed by every wave of philosophy in the culture and they don't even know it, the safest place they could possibly be is in your group. And if they're talking about the things that are happening in their heart and my kid brought something home from school and I read over it and I thought it was kind of persuasive and it was about genders. Huh? Well, can we open up to see what the scripture says about that? And we can protect one another. This is what Jude says that we're supposed to be doing all the time, which is we're supposed to, with whatever degree of drama or alarm the situation calls for, if it's just, hey, I saw this and I thought maybe it was kind of persuasive. Great point, Cheryl. Let's look at some verses about that. Do you think that adequately answers what you're saying? Yes, it really does. Great. Thank you. If that's all that's needed, let's do that. If it is, I have become staunch. I put a sign in my yard because I'm declaring that I'm now feeling this. And I know that none of you guys feel this way, but this is where I'm standing right now. Okay, this has become more of a serious situation. So we're going to do, back to your, your production idea, <clears throat> when someone is describing something to you or a belief system or a thought, whether they're describing it as a confession or they're just telling you what they think, Please, I wish I could reach out my hands to everybody and put my hands on your shoulders. Please, when people are telling you what they believe, don't be comparing it to what you think. Be comparing it in your mind and heart with the word of God. Be asking yourself, does this square with what God says about this issue? If not, this person is in trouble. 
And we need to find a way, maybe it's not on that spot, as I've said, maybe it's a, a side conversation. They need to hear the truth of God. Where are the truth tellers? May, them, may they rise up in this age, in this generation, tell people the truth so that they can compare their beliefs and behavior with the truth. And when they are, when their hearts are soft, and they become concerned, oh, gosh, Jeff, I, I didn't even know, I didn't know the Bible even said that. I, I, I did not know. I'm, thank, what, what do you think I should do? Thank you for this help. Should we take this back to the group? I'm happy for anybody to talk to me about this. There's a lot of people with soft hearts like that. They go like, I want everybody's input. I want to be corrected if I'm wrong, et cetera. Then we're to, now here's the grace part of it. God can act redemptively in any scenario. And when he hears a repentant heart, he will redeem it. And it's our privilege to be the priests who walk in there when people are acting in ignorance and restore them, telling them the truth. And then hopefully the culture of our whole group, what's heightened in our whole group, is man, do we love the truth. It is our, it is the peer that we get to hold on to in the middle of a storm. And we have a heightened sense of, man, do I love the people in this group. I am so safe with them. And I know that the next time anybody falls, Ecclesiastes 3, woe to the person who falls and has no one to pick them up. But but blessed is the man who, when he falls, there's someone there to restore him. And we think to ourselves, oh, man, I am so grateful that I have this group of people that I know that I could be restored if and when I fall into sin because I have my foibles and I need to confess sin. And I, I man, it's so great to know that these people are going to lead me back to the truth and they're going to be gracious with me, which is God's ability to redeem. I don't want them to wink at my sin. I don't want to act them to act like it's not sin or act like it doesn't matter. I want them to tell me the truth and I want them to restore me as I repent. You're here. All right. Well, I think that's it for now. I think we got, I don't know, a fourth of the way through these notes, but um, I didn't want to have any expectations on where we went. I just wanted us to talk about it for a while. So I know that the thing that's actually people are more interested in is how do you, how do you get somebody out of your group? So we'll save that for a further conversation. That'll be who are our people part three. And you and I can find talk, time to talk about that whenever we can. So, you know what we know what should happen on that is you should actually excise me from your group. Just like it'll be more of like a practical. It'd be like a workshop and I could yeah. show them how I kick off a co-host and then you will never be back. Uh-huh. Jeff, thank you for your time. Thank you, Stephen. It's always a he pleasure. From the Camino. Yeah.